Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Well, you've already heard from me today. I've already been yakking up here long enough, huh? Uh, There is joy here today. This is just beautiful. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, we are going to continue our study into Romans today. So I'm going to just kind of get right to it, okay? You know, uh, every once in a while when I deliver a sermon, you know, I, I, you know, I like to get you guys talking. I like to get you engaged. You guys look like you're in an engaging mood today. Yeah, last, last week we were a little bit more quiet. Today there's just a lot more energy here, I'm telling you. I like this crowd. This is great. It's mostly the same people, I'll tell you what. Well, we're going to jump back into Romans today, guys. This is uh, part two. Part two of uh, the sermon series that we just started one week ago, The Grace of God Revealed. That's good news, isn't it? I've been wanting to do this uh, uh, chapter by chapter, line by line study for over a year now. So I'm on cloud nine doing it. We're really going to jump into this really deep today. This is by far and away the, the most extensive and deepest study I've ever done on Romans. We're, we're going to get through the end of chapter one today. We're not even going to try to get into chapter two yet, okay? We're just going to thoroughly exhaust the scripture as much as we can here because there's so much that God wants to show you. Romans is the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible, hands down. Some call it the gospel according to Paul. The theme is, I already said it, the grace of God revealed God's righteousness, our iniquity, and God's remedy through grace. Grace, grace, grace. Socrates wrote a letter to Plato in 500 BC, and he said this, In that letter, he said, It may be that the deity can forgive sins, but I do not see how. This study aims to show you exactly how. Because Paul certainly accomplished that. The role of Romans is this. The definite, definitive gospel according to Paul. The most comprehensive book in the New Testament. The most profound of all literature Its impact on world history is unequaled as it was the cornerstone for the Protestant Reformation. I'm not building this up too much now, am I? (laughs) Trust me, we can only go up from here, right? It's hard to summarize the the Reformation's impact on Western civilization. And Romans being the cornerstone, again, its impact on world history unequaled. So where we left off last week, let's begin there. If you have your Bibles ready, your Bible apps ready, Romans chapter 1, we're going to bounce in a little while over to uh, uh, Psalm 19, but only briefly, you're going to stay in Romans chapter 1, so uh, let me hear those Bible pages flip. There are some of them, I hear some, excellent. You won't have to turn your page too much today though, because we're going to cover verses 18 through 32. We're not going to try to bite off too big of a chunk here, although we will cover more than you think, okay? So if you're in chapter 1, verses 18 
through 32. Back up just one verse, and that's where we left off, was in verse 17. For in it, the gospel is it that he's referring to. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I love this. this, I put this in the bottom of your uh, notes on the screen. The Septuagint, which again, in the Septuagint, this was a Greek text, a Greek text, which was essentially the Old Testament translated into uh, Greek for the Roman world. Well, this line, the just shall live by faith, is a direct quote from Habakkuk Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, that Paul is directly quoting Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, the Septuagint records it as, the just shall live by faith in me, or by my faithfulness. And that is how we live, because in Jesus Christ is life. Amen? And only in Jesus Christ is life. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4 Uh, Let me show you this briefly, just revisiting what we talked about last week. 2 verse 4, it led to a trilogy of epistles in the New New Testament, a trilogy which leads me to believe that Hebrews was also written by Paul. Can we see this next graphic? The next graphic, the the just shall live by faith. The just, do we have that next picture? Whenever you can get it, there it is. The just, who are they? Who are the just? That's what Romans covers. That's what it's all about. The just, who are they? They shall live. How shall they live? That was co- that's covered in his uh, epistle of, uh, to the Galatians and by faith in Hebrews. This indicates, like I said, in my opinion, Paul wrote Hebrews. That's debated, though. For Paul, we have to understand. We have to understand that for Paul, life in the sense of salvation begins with justification. Life begins with justification, and then it goes from there. Because nothing else matters until that point, right? We are saved by faith, justified by faith, then everything goes from there. Then it matters how they shall live, right? By faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. I found something cool regarding this I wanted to share with you guys. In a remarkable uh, anticipation of this twofold sense of the righteousness of God, uh, a letter, uh, a a writing, rather, was found in the caves of Qumran. Uh, We know them as the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? It was called the Hymn of the Initiants. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Everything that we have just been talking about, about the righteousness of God, the justification of mankind by faith, in that context, I want you to read this. Hymn of the initiants for early followers of God in the caves of Qumran. So we're talking over 2,000 years. Remember, the caves of Qumran, discovered in 1948, found fragments of every book in the Bible, uncorrupted, by the way. The Essenes were great at keeping their documents. They wanted to make sure the texts were not lost. Among all of those scriptural texts and apocryphal texts, they find this hymn of initiants, initiants of believers. Let's read it together. Can we see it? By his righteousness, my sin is blotted out. If I stumble because of fleshly iniquity, somebody needs to hear this now. Come on. 
If I stumble because of fleshly iniquity, my justification is lost? No. My justification is in the righteousness of God, which shall stand forever. Hallelujah. Faith plus nothing is salvation, church. Faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not a new gospel. This is the only gospel. And it was the gospel that changed their lives, these initiants. And they held it dear and close to their hearts. If I stumble because of fleshly iniquity, my justification is in the righteousness of God, which shall stand forever. By his mercy, he has caused me to approach. And by his loving kindness, he brings my justification near. By his true righteousness, he justifies me. And by his abundant goodness, he makes atonement for all my iniquities. By his righteousness, he cleanses me from the impurity of mortal man and from the sin of the sons of man, that I may praise God for his righteousness and the Most High for his glory. Amen? The just shall live by faith. Now, moving on. Verse 18 through 32. In verse, I stopped here last week because there's a, a shift in tone, but don't lose the context of everything we're about to cover today, okay? Paul now sets out to demonstrate why it is so urgent, urgently necessary that the way to get right with God should be known. He aims to show that the whole of humanity is morally bankrupt and utterly unable to claim a favorable verdict from the bar of God. That mankind is desperately in need of mercy and a pardon. He starts with an area of human life whose moral bankruptcy, believe it or not, was a matter of general agreement among moralist pagans. Now, there's a strange phrase, moralist pagans? Yes. You see, even those that would deny God among those, uh, those cultures, right and wrong is written on our hearts, right? Even those that renounce God still know that a lie is wrong, right? So, yes, there was a greater part of the culture that was moralist even in their paganism. So Paul, Paul starts out, Paul starts out <clears throat> there. The area of human life whose moral bankruptcy was a matter of general agreement. He paints an ugly picture. An ugly picture that is also mirrored, by the way, by his contemporary historians. Even contemporary historians uh, paint the same picture. How could this happen? What is the cause of such a state of, of moral failure? Paul says, Paul says, as we, we will study, that it all arose from wrong believing. It all arose wrong living stems from wrong believing, and that's what we have to understand, church, okay? Um, boy, I could go off on a rabbit trail there. I'm going to stay on task. Got too much. Uh, all right, I'll go. 
I'll never forget, uh, have you ever heard of Teen Challenge? We had a guest speaker come to our church once uh, from Teen Challenge, and he got up there and it, he, sa- he said, this is 15 years ago, granted. He said something that has stuck with me since, since then. He said, you know, at Teen Challenge, we don't try to change behavior. We don't scold and say, you know, we don't, we don't even bother with it. We work on changing the heart. Because if the heart changes, the behavior will change. Does that make sense? Wrong believing is the source of so much heartache. It's the source of everything that's wrong. Whether it's one living in debauchery or it's one living, living so piously trying to meet a moral code they'll never attain. And punishing themselves for every failure. Wrong believing. It all rose from wrong. Wrong ideas about God, if we want to go a little, a little deeper there. Really wrong ideas about God. Ideas that in this context for Paul did not arise innocently. They did not arise innocently, innocently as the knowledge of the true God was available. Even evident all around them. But men and women closed their minds to it. They closed their minds to it. Rather than give glory to the creator of the universe, they chose to worship created things as God, lowercase g. Idolatry is ultimately, ultimately the source of all immorality. So says the author of the Book of Wisdom. This is an interesting one. Did you know that there is something called the Book of Wisdom and that it's in many different uh, uh, codexes? It's in the Codex Vaticanus, Sinaiticus. It's like an apocryphal text, but it didn't end up in our Bible because they didn't know who wrote it. Scholars couldn't agree. Some thought that Solomon did, but then, but then they did away with that theory and thought, well, it had to have been an Alexandrian Jew. In any case, the Book of Wisdom it lines up perfectly with the Word of God and contradicts it nowhere. The Book of Wisdom, there's a scripture that comes to us from uh, chapter 14, verse 12. It reads, For the idea of making idols was the beginning of fornication, and the invention of them was the corruption of life. Hmm. Three different times, with deliberate, with deliberate Ignorance being the theme here, okay? Deliberate ignorance being the theme. Three times over in the next verses to come, we will see words of doom appear. Words of doom that come in verse 24, 26, and 28. God gave them up. God gave them up. Can I see this next graphic on that note, before we jump into verse 18, it's important for us to understand as we study today that God never condemns without just cause. Okay? Here we have three bases that are stated in Romans chapter 1, three bases stated for God's judgment of the pagan world. Number one, for suppressing God's truth. Suppressing God's truth. Number two, for ignoring God's revelation. And three, for perverting God's glory. Let's read verse 18. Suppressing God's truth. 
right out of the gate, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God is quite a statement, isn't it? Just that phrase, the wrath of God, almost gives you chills, doesn't it? For the wrath of God is revealed, is revealed. Now, this is in the present tense verb. Thus, it means is being revealed, continually being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This word ungodliness here, I think it's important for us to pause briefly on. It's the, it's the Greek word asbien, asbien. It means this, a lack of proper reverence for God. Remember that. Put a pin in that. This is important. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all lack of proper reverence for God and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Other translations say, who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Now, how do they suppress the truth? We'll get to that in a moment. But for now, I want to back up real quick. This wrath of God. The wrath of God. When you think of, in your mind, the wrath of God, Go on, paint a visual picture in your mind, a little watercolor real quick, all right? What's it look like? Revelation, maybe? A lot of fire, a lot of people running around with their hair on fire, screaming, maybe? The wrath of God is often misunderstood. And it's often misapplied by our, our, honestly, our own short-sighted understanding. Have you ever asked yourself, be honest, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, have you ever asked yourself, is God punishing me? Have you? Always be, be honest with yourself, right? Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever heard anybody else ask you that? Is God, do you think God's punishing me? Am I, the, am I a sinner in the hands of an angry God? Seriously, it feels like it sometimes, right? The first thing that we have to have to do is stop inferring human emotion, the, the, rather the human emotional experience, I should say, the human emotional experience of anger. We need to stop inferring that human emotional experience of anger onto a holy God. We have, that's the first thing we have to do, okay? Though we would all agree, because I've taught this before, so you know it, right? We could all agree that it's not a sin to be angry, right? We just got out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. says, you know, in your anger, don't sin, right? So it's not a sin to be angry. It's just when you're angry, don't sin, right? So it's not a sin to be angry. And we would even agree then that a righteous anger can be a good thing, right? Yes? Oh, you're with me, right? Righteous anger can be a good thing, all right? Now that I've got you agreeing with me, can we also agree that at times we enjoy anger a bit too much? And the crowd groaned. Can we agree that we enjoy watching somebody get what they deserve? Oh, man, right? Right? Some of us, <laughs> some of us, 
are even lusting for it now as, as we await justice to fall upon the wicked, right? I won't name any names, right? <clears throat> We've got to get this, guys. Make no mistake, God re receives no emotional gratification or rush from the anger that he feels, okay? He takes no satisfaction in pouring out his wrath upon the wicked, the unrighteous. He takes no enjoyment out of that. Wrath is but the balancing device of a moral universe. We would say crime and what? Crime and punishment. Oh, you got it. I was hoping you'd get it. There is no punish. If there is no punishment for a crime, then there is what? No justice, right? It's the balancing device of a moral universe. If there's, no, if there's no punishment for a crime, there's no justice, next thing you know, you've got our State Department. <laughs> the wrath of God will pour out on all wickedness at the end of time. It will. But we have to understand, before we even get past the first line, he would rather it not. He would rather it not have to. He would rather it be that none were lost. You have to understand that in this context. We see this next graphic. God's wrath is directed against all the godlessness or, as we said, lack of proper reverence for God and against the wickedness or unrighteousness. You know what it means to be righteous in the Greek? It simply means that you are how you ought to be. That's the literal definition. He has made you righteous in Christ. In other words, he's made you as you ought to be. Now, God sees you. He created you worthy of walking into his presence. Now you are again as you ought to be, right? Wickedness being the opposite. God's wrath is directed against all of the lack of proper reverence and against the wickedness or unrighteousness of men, not against the men as much. To understand that. It's easy for us to get those lines blurred. Because I see a man doing wicked things. I want the man to suffer. God's, God would rather save the man and punish the wickedness. You see. God hates sin, and he judges it. Understand that. But he loves sinners and desires their salvation. You know, I'm saved right now, right? I put my faith and trust in the finished work of the cross, and he has secured my eternity with him. Praise be to God. That's what he wants forever. But there was a time, there was a time when in not understanding that, I was lost and wayward, right? In sin, as they say. God loved you while we were yet sinners. Don't ever forget what Paul said. While we were yet sinners, he died for you. That's our God. God doesn't want to punish you. Jesus already took that for you. So many of you are like, Oh, is God punishing me? Am I a sinner in the hands of an angry God? No. In short, 
Jesus already took that punishment for you. Now, you may be reaping a whirlwind of the wind that you've sown. But God's judgment is reserved, his wrath is reserved for sin and wickedness. And he'd rather you get out of the way. He'd rather all humans get out of the way. The more humbly that you think of yourself, honestly, as a common sinner, and this is a, this is a good application point for us to take home, I think, the more humbly that you can think of yourself as a common sinner, the more you will understand grace. Simply. Regarding those who suppress the truth, the more, the more that one lacks proper reverence for God, the more they will lack any reverence for his creation the more they will lack any reverence for his sons, for his daughters. People had God's truth at this time, Paul said. They had his truth, but they suppressed it. They refused to heed it. And these wicked ones did this with an attitude of wickedness, an attitude, a heart position of wickedness. The suppression of the truth was Paul's first reason for God condemning the pagan world. Look around today. Would you? Look around the world that we're living in today. Whom do you see suppressing the truth? I should give you harder questions. (laughs) Who do you see suppressing the truth? Can you think of anyone? I mean, come on now, any companies, any agencies or governments out there right now? Any news organizations, any social media platforms, perhaps? Well, if you see any, okay, you'll find that they have something in common. A lack of reverence for the one true God. And that's where it all stems from. Thus, a lack of of reverence for the virtues and for the principles that our God espouses. The lack of reverence for you. A lack of reverence for your rights. Which are God-given, by the way. Not from the states. Is this relevant or what? Huh? He condemns for the suppression of the truth, suppressing God's truth, also for ignoring God's revelation. What does that mean, really? Let's read verse 19 through 20. Verse 19 through 20. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, these wicked ones. It's even, it's what may be known of God is even evident in them. For God has, clear, has clearly shown it to them. I'm getting my translations mixed up. Shown it to them. Another one says, clearly shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. So the parts of God that are invisible, right, beyond our gaze dimensionally, they're they're evident in the creation, in your own creation. I mean... Just how the nervous system works for crying out loud, right? Just how uh, 
the rungs of trees spiral at the same, uh, the same what is it, equation as, as the seashells in the ocean do, that the universe spins at, and everything else. God's fingerprints are all over everything. Oh, but I can't see God. Really? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. This, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you see what lengths God has gone to? Such lengths, he made it so evident that no one will have an excuse not to acknowledge creation and thusly acknowledging him in some way at least. Knowledge concerning God is available to everyone, period. As it is seen in the created world, accessible to the entire human race. An Old Testament parallel to this verse is Psalm 19. Can we see that? Psalm 19, 1 through 6. You've heard it before, right? King David's psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Verse 2. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. Verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Verse 4. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Verse 5, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Verse 6, its rising is from the end of heaven, from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Creation itself declares the glory of God. It is significant to note, church, that our society militantly insists on teaching our young people bad science. Evolution, denying creationism. Why might they be doing that? Again, a lack of reverence for God just funny how it keeps coming back to that. Third reason God condemns for perverting God's glory. Let's look at verse 21. Perverting God's glory. Because although they knew God, again, pay attention, they knew him. They were not ignorant. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And this is a big one, guys. If you're asleep, wake up for this one. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Don't let it be lost on you that gratitude is mentioned as key. It is absolutely an interlocking key with uh, honoring the Lord, with having a reverence for, if you have the reverence for God, you're going to be grateful. It's like we always say, right? We don't do works to get saved, no, when we're saved, it's because we, we have metanioed, had a repentance, an understanding. We see the truth and we receive it. We put our faith in it, and now he puts desires in us to do the works, right? Works that he has prepared, right? And it's, it's when we realize that, how desperate our situation was, and he saved us, what is the heart's natural response? Gratitude. 
gratitude. And out of gratitude, do we want to be better, try harder, do better, right? And out of love for him. They weren't grateful, though. And they became futile in their thoughts. Uh, in the Greek, you could also play with this, and it would say senseless minds. Futile in their thoughts are minds that have no sense, okay? And their foolish hearts were darkened. These people, these people pervert the knowledge that they have of God into idolatry, Paul says. Not only withholding the truth from others, but themselves, they are unable to even free their consciences from it. The clause here, although they knew God, refers to an original experiential knowledge of God such as Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve knew God. It's the same phrasing here. So they knew God just as Adam and Eve would have known God before the fall and after the fall. They knew him. Paul is making this clear. They didn't know of him. They knew him. They didn't hear about this God and think maybe there's something to it, maybe not. No, they knew him. Now, we don't know how long it took until they fell away, but it's always gradual, church. It's always gradual. This just makes it worse, don't you see? One would think to know God would be to honor God and to glorify him, to thank him, to praise him. They turned from the very purpose for which God had made them. It's no wondering that their thinking became futile, right? Or became worthless and purposeless, as other translations say. And they became vain in their imaginations and foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They were morally senseless, in other words. Church, when truth is rejected, when truth is rejected, in John chapter 3, 19 through 20, and Matthew chapter 13, 10 through 16, will back me up on this, when truth is rejected, in time, in time, the ability to recognize and to receive the truth is impaired. I've always said this, if you ignore the Holy Spirit long enough, you'll stop hearing him. You know what I'm talking about. Whether it's the Holy Spirit telling you to engage somebody on the streets, to share the gospel, to speak up for what's right, oh, that's uncomfortable, and you don't, and then you don't, and then you don't, and then you don't. You get used to saying no. Or if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, what are you doing? That's not who you are. You don't lie, cheat, steal. You don't fornicate. You don't whatever. The more you're like, oh, but I'd really like to uh, go away. And then again and again and again and again. You can get good at ignoring the Holy Spirit so much so you, you don't even notice him anymore. Eventually, you don't even hear him anymore. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. 
actually a more accurate translation from the Greek to our modern tongue might be stupid. For real. Emoranthesan. Emoranthesan. Stupid. It implies, it implies a moral obtuseness rather than an intellectual deficiency. Okay? It's tied to the morality. It's not that they don't know how to do math, right? They're not fools in that sense. I'm sure they did their taxes, right? When the true source of wisdom is rejected, a person's claim to be wise becomes an idle boast, right? Professing to be wise, an idiot, whatever, right? You have rejected the source of wisdom. You, you profess yourself to be wise. You've rejected the source of wisdom. It's, it's not me, right? It's them, right? Not me? No. This, is a, this is a snapshot of our culture. <laughs> Just, it is a snapshot of our culture. Unconvinced of the evidence against them, people feel no need for a pardon. I'm unconvinced. Hey, do you think you're going to heaven? I'm a pretty good guy. I like my chances, right? I mean, I try. I mean, I'm no worse than the next guy. You, I, you know what? I should issue a challenge. I tell you what. Find 10 people this week, random people, out, just ask them if they're going to heaven and then why. <laughs> the vast majority, they're all going to say yes, all right? I'd be shocked if you found someone and said, nope, hell, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> right? But why? Well, I'm as good as the next guy. That's what you're going to get, unless you find to come across a believer. You know? <clears throat> C.S. Lewis, I love to quote him all the time. I don't have the quote, but you know. It's, it is only when we realize the desperation, the desperate nature of our position, Right? Only then does Christianity begin to talk. <laughs> Only when you realize, I am, oh, I won't say it. I am in a bad state right now. I'm in a mess. How about that? I'm in a mess right now with my eternity literally hanging in the balance. What am I going to do? Oh, Jesus did it for me. I, I can't achieve the standard of morality, I can't do it. I try and I fail. Even the Apostle Paul, for crying out loud, said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't do, or what I, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Right? We'll get there eventually. It's in Romans. I'm cooked. My goose is cooked. That's what they say, right? And then Christianity begins to talk. Unconvinced of the evidence against them, they feel no need for a pardon. Verse 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Man's Refusal to acknowledge God always, every time, leads to a downward path, church. Every time. First, worthless thinking. 
Next, moral insensitivity. Third, then religious stupidity, as, as seen in idol worship. Well, I'm going to just, uh, I think it's in Isaiah. I can't remember where I should. shouldn't have said that if I couldn't have referenced it. Right? In Isaiah, there's some, something in the Bible <laughs> where he's talking about the idol worshipers taking a pile of wood, burning half of it to stay warm, but then carving an idol out of the other half and worshiping it as God. He's like, but you just burned it. How is it God now? Right? Religious stupidity at its height. When the knowledge of the true living God is refused, false gods inevitably fill the vacuum. Something has to fill the vacuum. Satan wanted to fill the vacuum. The fallen angels wanted to fill the vacuum. Do you know that 60% of atheists today believe in ghosts? What? I'm, I'm dead serious. 60% of atheists believe in ghosts. But I thought we did not that there's no spiritual stuff, right? It's just we're here. There's no God. So there's no, therefore no spiritual realm. That's what you're saying, but you believe in ghosts? Religious stupidity fills the gap, always. There will be some form of religion that it makes no sense. Why? Because their foolish hearts are darkened. I love this quote by Chuck Missler. Can I see this next quote? Of idolatry, he says this. Are idols of stone cold, unresponsive, and impersonal? Well, if you worship them, you too will become cold, unresponsive, and impersonal. Is the world materialistic, harsh, and unforgiving? If you worship the world, you too will become materialistic, harsh, and unforgiving. And if you worship Christ, you will become like him. That's good, isn't it? That's good. The tragic results here, okay, in a real sense, in a real sense, the results of God's condemnation on rebellious humanity are nothing more than the natural consequences of suppressing the truth, you see. The natural consequences of ignoring revelation, the natural consequences of perverting God's glory. However, God did more than simply let that nature take its let that nature take its course. God acted by abandoning the people to their expression of a corrupt lifestyle, that lifestyle which deserves God's wrath and the sentence of death. As I mentioned earlier, it's mentioned three times in verses 24, 26, and 28. Let's read verse 24. Can we see this? The phrase, gave them over, gave them over. I want you to think about this in the context, okay? That word is perev dekhen, which means abandoned. God abandons them, essentially. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. He abandoned them to uncleanness and their lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. I'm telling you, church, the frequency of live-in lovers and the general sexual debauchery of our day 
only confirms this result of God's abandonment. Sex within marriage is a holy gift from God. It's a holy gift from God, but otherwise it is impurity. Literally, the word means uncleanness and the dishonoring of their own bodies by using them contrary to God's intents. There is a use for your body that is to God's intent, and then there is a use for your body that is contrary to that intent. You understand? These lusts are deeper than mere lusts of the flesh. They are of the heart. So they will exist forever. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verily, truth, so let it be, in other words. The truth of God is God's truth concerning all things. All things, including mankind. The truth is that people are creatures of God and they can find true fulfillment. Did you know that? You can. You can find true fulfillment. But guess what? You know where you find it? Only in worshiping and serving the Creator. A lie, on the other hand, a lie, on the other hand, says that the creature, be it angelic or human, whatever it is, it can, ex- it can exist independently of God, self-sufficient, self-directing, self-fulfilling. Mankind made himself his own God in the place of the true God. And that's humanism. That's where it all stems. Verse 26, we're out of time. Oh, we're out of time. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. There it is again. Abandoned them to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. The perversions that characterize, that characterize our present society, church, are nothing new. Nothing new. These perversions deliberately deny the presence of intentional design intentional design in our being, in our bodies. God gave them over to passions of disgrace, it says, right? This is not speaking of natural or normal appetites of the body. He says unnatural. So it's not speaking of the normal appetites or even the abuses of these, which would be adultery or or harlotry, okay? It is dealing with unnatural appetites in which all normal instincts are left behind. These involved, as the text states, both sexes engaging in homosexual instead of heterosexual relationships. Now, what a state that we're in that even me saying this in a church nowadays is pretty risky. Might offend some folks, Pastor. It's the word of God. Verse 27. Likewise also, the men leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what was shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty. (sighs) Essentially saying such lustful and indecent acts have within them seeds of their own punishment. 
receiving in them themselves the penalty of their error. Interestingly, that word error in the modern English, the word error in the modern English is far too weak of a word to render. Plani is the word. It's, it's used in Jude 11. Jude reckons this word to the context of Balaam's error, the idolatry and fornication of Baal Peor. And there's a story there. But I'm out of time. Should we tell the story? Yeah. Oh, my wife's the Sunday school teacher. <laughs> you got my back, right? All right. Well, let's just briefly. We'll be, we'll be quick. So Baal Peor, all right? The story of Baal Peor starts when Balak, the king of the Moabites, hired Balaam. If, if you read this at all uh, in Numbers, a prophet for hire, he hires him to curse Israel, Balak the king. He'd seen uh, pro, uh, pro, the progress and might of Israel, and he was trying to do something that would stop them. So Balaam takes money. He's an Israelite, right, basically to curse his own people. It's a terrible thing, right? Seven times he tries and he fails. It doesn't work any time. Balaam then advised the, wisdom, uh, the, the women of Midian to seduce the Israelite men. He, it wouldn't work. His curses wouldn't work. So he's like, how, how do I get a curse on them? Aha. He gets the women of Midian to seduce the Israelite men. And in doing so, they commit sexual sin and they worship their false gods. They bring them in. So it's, it's, it's tied into uh, sexual disobedience with the worshiping and sacrifice to their gods. In Numbers 25 is where you'll find it. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. As a judgment against the Israelites' sin, God sent a plague among the people. Balaam knew this, church. He knew that if the Israelite men could be seduced into idol worship, then God himself would curse them and his task be accomplished for the payoff. Paul wrote of this to the Corinthian church because the Corinthians would have been partially susceptible to this kind of temptation because the city of Corinth was filled with idolatry and sexual immorality. And you find that in uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Although he doesn't mention Baal Peor by name, he mentions, he gives details of it happening. So, and he says we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Them? Who? The Israelites back then. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So you see the correlation there. So Paul, this is well on his mind. It's a part of the day. Many things have changed since then, church. Many things have changed since then, but the basic temptations have not. Sexual temptation is ever-present in modern societies all around the world. The idols of money, the idols of pleasure, the idols of fame... The good life, right? They all vie for one's attention, trying to take the place of the one true God in the hearts of the people. Even today, Christians must guard against the sin of Baal Peor. God gave them up. Stated in 25, 26, and 28, it is the beginning of the working of God's wrath in this world. 
is what it is, church. This is not a description. Oh, you need to understand this today, all right? This is why we talked about wrath at the beginning of the message. This is not a description of those who are damned forever, okay? It's not a description of those who are damned forever, but of the at present lost. Does that make sense? The, he's talking not of the damned forever, but the at present lost. A, a present judicial action of God on earth where he lets man go their own way. Okay? Now is the acceptable time, church. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It is not too late. If you're watching this and you've gone your own way and he's, he's let you to it, there's still time. Though God's wrath may be, be it is being revealed against this generation, it is not yet sure when it comes to you. Grace can still reach the lowest of the low. It can. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verse 25, or 28, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. The debased mind there is counterfeit reasoning. If you've gone your own way and your reasoning has been counterfeited, been lost, our church, there's still time. There's still time. Let me share this with you. Let me share this with you. How guilty is mankind as it stands in contrast to a righteous God? Barry? I have some good news. Can I see this last graphic, the very last one? Because I'm out of time. I don't have time to wrap this up like I'd like to. Maybe we'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> There's good news because God declares men righteous. Not by faith is the procuring cause, for the blood of Christ was that. Not by faith is the putting forth of a work that man is capable of, much less by keeping of commands, however holy and just, but by one thing. Out of out of reliance upon his word being true and that alone. And that alone. Amen. I'll invite uh, Leith up here. Thank you, brother. Mankind stands guilty. Is there enough evidence to convict? Would you say? How guilty are you? Is there enough evidence to convict you? Have you asked for a pardon yet? Hmm? If not, what are you waiting for, huh? Yeah? With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and the Lord is tugging on your heart, maybe you've gone your way a bit, 
Maybe you've gone your way a bit and you've fallen into futile ways of thinking. Wicked ways of living even. Whatever it is, it's not too late. This is still the acceptable year of the Lord. The Greek says the dektos year of the Lord, where his free-flowing favor abounds. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Do you know that? While we were engaged in this wickedness and uncleanness and far from him, having gone our own way, having not even known of him or known him yet, he died for you, for us. If that's you here today, and you need to come back to him, because you've gone your way a bit too much, and whatever it is, you just need to lay it down at his feet. Raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, he rejoices. Out of his kindness, he draws you near. Does he not? Out of his kindness, he draws you near. As the hymn of the initiants said, by his righteousness, my sin is blotted out. If I stumble because of fleshly iniquity, my justification is in the righteousness of God, which, st shall, which shall stand forever. Amen? That's what he has for you. That's what he desires for you. If you've never surrendered your heart, you've never just put your faith and trust in him, you've never... You've never opened your eyes. You've never to the enlightenment and the truth of who he is, what he's done for you, and what that now means for you eternally. If you've never done that, and you're doing it right now, if you're watching online, I'd ask that you'd message us so we can talk. If you're doing that right now, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I ask that you just... I ask that you would just, if you have any questions, come to me after service. Come to somebody in leadership. Share your heart. Share what God is doing in you so we can walk with you. Let's pray, church. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you accomplish exactly what you set out to accomplish, God. Whether we meet our goals or not, when we're surrendered to your will, you accomplish what you want. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your kindness that reaches out to people, Father, that reached out to us, that reached out to me, God. We thank you that you are just and true. We ask you to have your way in our lives. We lay down our will, Father, that your will would be accomplished, your purpose for our lives would be accomplished, God. That our minds would rejoice in truth, God, and spot a lie when it tries to come in, Father. Lord, cleanse our consciousness. Cleanse our believing, Father. Fill our hearts and our minds with truth, Lord Jesus. Let's say this prayer out loud, church, as we do every week. Pray with me now. Say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe that you love me. 
I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I will live with you for eternity. Walk with me. Teach me. Show me. Lord Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, go before you, follow after you, walk alongside of you. May you prosper in all you do. May you go in grace and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys.